Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, give it to him stronger than that. Give it to him stronger than that. Come on now. Hallelujah. 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 Look at somebody and say, it is a setup. <laughs> Ooh, look at somebody behind you and say, it's all a setup. <laughs> the cross was a setup. Hallelujah. Victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yes. Well, brothers and sisters, I come to you in, in the name of Jesus, declaring peace upon your lives. You may quickly have a seat, pastors. I want to thank you for this opportunity. Quickly, let's get into the word of God because we have a short amount of time and I want to share something so wonderful with you folks. Amen. Hallelujah. Quickly, let's turn to the first word. The first words that Jesus said, found in the Word of God in the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 34. If you have pens, if you have your highlighter, please write these things down. It is for the nourishment to challenge you, to, to inspire you. Amen? Amen? Once again, let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 34. El libro de Lucas, capítulo 6, verso 34. Amen? And if somebody does not have a Bible, I don't know if they're putting it up top, uh, get, so, get close to somebody next to you. We, we want to share in this word together. Amen? Father, we just lift up our hands to you. Father, thanking you for this word. And we declare your anointing. We declare your spirit to touch each mind, each heart. We are willing and we're receptive to receive of what you have to speak to us today. Thank you for what you have done on the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you. All God's people say amen. amen. The word of God says this in Luke 6.34, and I'm also going to read uh, chapter 35 as well. Amen. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments. Look at somebody say, divided his garments. And cast lots. Verse 35, it says, And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. <laughs> if he is the Christ, the chosen one. Father, we thank you for your word. Mm. Now, the theme that God gave me for this, this quick message is called trophy for the moment or treasure for all eternity. Once again, look at your brother, tell him it's a setup. <laughs> it is a setup. Now, I found several scriptures uh, that share upon different views in the Gospels that share the same, uh, 
they share different points of that historic moment in history. If you want to write it down, obviously I gave you Luke 6, verse 34, 35. Also, in Matthew 27, 35... When it speaks, it speaks about the prophetic that, that it was being fulfilled. Amen? Amen? Levi quoted and foretold this occurrence from the Old Testament happening before their very own eyes. Also, God being in the flesh did not just feel the physical pain of the cross, but the pain of the inner man in knowing that although they sent him off to die as a spectacle. Look at somebody say spectacle. Mm. And they, they still didn't see the promise. Can you imagine somebody seeing what's going on in that historic moment? Obviously, those that are seeing things in the spiritual mindset with their spiritual eyes will see beyond what's going on on the cross. But it says they still didn't see the promise or the purpose, which is found in the book of Psalm, chapter 22, verse 14 through 18. When he's talking about the anguish, the pain of it. Uh, I was poured out like water. My, bone, my bones are out of joint. And, and, and my heart is, is like wax. It's melting within me. And, 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 and strength dried up. Tongues, the, the, my tongue is clinging to my jaws. Can you imagine the, the pain and anguish that Christ was going through in that historic moment for each and every one of you? Mm. Now... Speaking in the book of Psalm, when, when, when David, the Psalm of David, that was a prophetic Psalm, Psalm of David, speaking about the Messiah, amen? He was talking about a trophy, the anguish of a trophy. Now, as I mentioned before, the theme is trophy for the moment or treasure for all eternity. You see, lots of people focus on what is seen rather than the masterpiece of purpose. You see, that, 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 that was God's masterpiece. He was creating something to, to a paradigm shift in all of history. Amen? The nucleus of what God is unveiling for all to see, in which only the people that were connected, somebody say connected, in the spirit can see. Now, you can find that in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 31 through 38. Obviously, you can read that in your own time. The mystery was shared with the disciples, though. You see, Peter rebuked Jesus for attempting to, to, to do what he said, going to Jerusalem to be crucified. We cannot see this masterpiece with just a visual eye, but we have to see it with a spiritual eye. In Mark, when Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus then turned it around and he rebuked, the Bible said that he rebuked Peter back. He said, uh-uh. He said, you, you, you're seeing the way man sees. You have to see the way God sees. Once again, it's all a setup. Look at somebody, tell him, tell him it's a setup. <laughs> now, I didn't just go into scriptures. There's something really cool. I actually found this quote that was so awesome, and I'm going to share it with you. It says, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. That's powerful, isn't that? Can you imagine crushing 
Crushing, crushing, crushing. <laughs> That's what Jesus did for us. Amen on that cross. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that crushed it. Now, Mark Twain said this. It was all a setup. Go to Romans chapter 9, verse 21. Speaking before about Peter and Jesus. You see, we have to embrace the cross, the symbolization of the cross, what Christ has done for us, amen? But God had everything in control from the very beginning. It was all under control. In Romans 9, 21, I remember the pastor mentioned this verse. It says, does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel of honor and another for dishonor? It was all a setup. I'm gonna, I can't reiterate that enough. It was all a setup for you, for you, 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 and me. Can somebody give thanks to God for Jesus? Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hallelujah. Where forgiveness was being poured out before their very eyes, they could not even see it. So he invoked it. He verbalized it in his sorrow. While expressing his own functioning purpose as the potter, as that, as that, as that flower that was being crushed and it released forgiveness for all mankind. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, there's a picture that I want to show with you guys. I don't know if you guys can pull it up. It's a really cool painting, a very famous painting by William C. Ressler. I don't know if you guys can see that. Can you see that? This, this, this painting is called The Bridge. Very famous painting. Them desiring his dying today while he's desiring their living tomorrow. It is manifestation of grace to forgive, as it is the manifestation of freedom to love. Now, that's an anonymous quote that I found, but I think that is so powerful, because when you enter into forgiveness, you enter into another level of mercy, another level of mercy. Another level of love. I don't know about you, but I'm not the only one that has received a lot of hits and, 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 and punches and, and betrayals and deceit. Right. I'm not the only one. But Jesus being bruised and spit at and, and, and just, the Bible says you couldn't even recognize him. He wasn't even recognizable. But he took on that cross. He was crushed for the sake of our forgiveness. And on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, who are we speaking about? Now, I looked up the word casting lots in, verse, in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 34, when it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they divided his garments. Now, why in the world would they mention divide his garments? Why would they mention cast lots? The Holy Spirit 
it's, it's, it's trying to tell us something here. You see, so I looked up the word, the, the phrase casting lots. I know Pastor mentioned it one time uh, about dice, you know, uh, CeeLo, right? <laughs> or Yahtzee, right? But you know something very crazy. I looked it up, and it's cleromancy, casting lots, throwing of dice, or maybe flipping a coin. This is historical. This is throughout time, flipping a coin. And some of you might know this, but this is as a form of reminder on, on what I'm getting to. I'm getting to something very quickly. Stay with me. Throwing a stone. Rock, paper, scissors, says shoot. Right? I was the one with the paper all the time. I always used to get rock, paper, scissors, says shoot, so it's my turn, right? I'm going to go first. It was, it was making a decision. It was taking, taking initiative. And that moment in history, that occurrence with Jesus of Nazareth at the cross was very, very controversial. The stakes were very high. Divisions among the people. Can you imagine the, the intense shouting, crucify him, and, and people standing there and watching this historic moment take place? There were, but there was a shift that was emerging and coming into fruition. It was the main event of all history. <laughs> I don't know if people have seen, you know, March Madness or, or boxing matches or tournaments of whatever sort, the Olympics. But there's a moment in history, the Super Bowl, the, the, uh, uh, the Soccer Bowl, whatever you want to call it, the World Cup, right? The main event that changed history as we know it. I know I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. It was all a setup. Look at somebody say it was all a setup. The moment seemed to be very important to the point that it was affecting society and all its essence. Amen? Hallelujah. Conclusion. Because I see, I, see, I see the flyer. Time's up. My question to you is this. Are you casting lots for a trophy? Are you casting lots for a trophy? Is it a spectacle to be here and lift up our hands and say to be glorified to the king? Or are you taking part in embracing that forgiveness, embracing that treasure, embracing what Jesus did on the cross for you? Is it a spectacle? Is it? Or is it something of an encounter for you? Amen? There's more, but time is up. Stay with that question. Are you casting lots for a trophy, or is it a treasure for all eternity? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen, amen. I forgot to, me and Stephen had a conversation in the back, and right before I donated like nine of my ten minutes, so you guys didn't have to throw up the, he, still, he, was, he was on time. I'm just going to spend one minute here. Might just read the thing and just walk off, but uh, so that being said, my word is the second word, 
And uh, after that comedy hour, uh, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's interesting. We were, um, we sat together uh, prior to tonight and we sat with pastor and she didn't really assign a, a, a word to any of us. She allowed us to select which one we wanted to speak on. And uh, I was looking at all of them and I was like, let me try to figure out which is the least dense. Because I, re- I didn't really want to you know, have to do, do all this research. So I was like, which is the least dense? And I was like, oh, he's talking about today, paradise, pretty simple, easy, one, two, three, I'm off. But little did I know, 48 pages of research, articles later, that it's probably one of the more dense ones. <laughs> so, yeah. With that being said, remember, there's still time to uh, be part of the one-year reading Bible plan. We're only three months in, guys, so study your word. But um, now getting back on point, sorry. <laughs> I read a lot of different versions of this passage, Luke 23, 43. The one that you see on the screen is the English Standard Version, but I read a few different passages, and there was uh, um, some similarities. Of course, there's some words that were changed or switched, different interpretations, different versions. But there was three focal points that I noticed that didn't change from one version to the next. And it was the focal point of the usage of the word you. It was the, the, the guarantee of today. And it was the promise of paradise. Hence why this is so dense. Because you really can break this sentence apart and really speak so deeply on each aspect the one I'm going to focus on is the, the aspect of the, word, the usage of the word you. And kind of trying to figure out, like, you know, we, if you're a believer or if you're not, we're going to explain who the you was. So we're going to go quickly to Luke 22, or forgive me, Luke 23, 32, and 33. And if you have it, amen. If not, I'm running because I'm limited on time. (laughs) So two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, being Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified with him, or they they crucified him and the criminals. One to the right, well, your right, and one to the left. And it's, it's pretty, uh, it's a nice uh, display that they gave us up, up here, which is great, which is the representation, representation of Jesus Christ and the two criminals. And it really um, puts into point as I, I continue kind of the, the, uh, the point that I'm trying to bring. So, so we know there were two criminals. There's no name given of the criminals. There's supposedly a gospel of Nicodemus, which I wouldn't really say is... Uh, necessarily a, a truthful gospel, but where they supposedly say the names of the two criminals, but in the scripture, in the Bible that we read, there's no mention of them at all. So there's no name that we know of, of these two individuals. Now, one thing that is kind of uh, assumed was the crowd that they walk with. Um, if, if, you, um, if you know the story, Jesus Christ took the place of another criminal, which was Barabbas. So it was believed that the two criminals that were to the left and the right of what was supposed to be Barabbas 
were individuals that likely walked with him. So if we talk a little bit about Barabbas and who he was, John 18.40 calls Barabbas a bandit. Luke refers to him as, as one involved in riot. Luke 23.19. Matthew says Barabbas was a notorious prisoner in Matthew 27.16. However, Mark makes, it, makes his crime more specific. You go to Mark 15, 7. And among the, rebel, the rebels in prison, so it was a group of rebels in prison who had committed murder and the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So we know that he was in prison with a group of individuals that were rebels that were involved in the insurrection and committed murder. So the, Roman, the Romans were not, they, were, um, they didn't just do random things. Usually when they made a point, they made a point to a group. So it's likely the two individuals that were to the left or right were in a group with Barabbas, he likely being the leader. So the you again, we go back to the you. We don't know who they were, but we know that one of them was the one that Jesus was talking to. So we know that the criminals likely were bandits. They were likely notorious prisoners and they likely committed murder. So we go quickly to Matthew 27, 44. To kind of understand kind of the interaction that might have been occurring on the cross. It was a three hour period of time estimated. But there was a lot of interactions that were going on. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So Matthew's perspective, we saw Luke's perspective, which is the one you see on this, on, which I described in, the, in um, Luke 23, 32, and 33. And I'll also describe that a little further. I have so many scriptures. <laughs> Should have gave me 20 minutes. So now, you know, Luke has his, his, um, his perspective. Matthew's giving us his perspective. And, he, and his perspective was both of them were mocking Christ. So... Who was he talking to? When you go to Mark 15, 32. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And reviled is to criticize in an abusive and angrily insulting manner. So now we have Matthew and Mark, which is kind of giving us a portrayal of both criminals mocking Christ. But there was something that occurred prior to that, and it likely might have been the first word, where Jesus said, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Obviously, obviously there were criminals. Obviously, obviously they were there for just reasons. But there was something that changed the heart of the one criminal. Because we, we'll, we'll believe that he was mocking Christ as well. But something changed his mind, changed his heart. And then we're going to go quickly to the remorseful heart. Luke 23, 39, 42. Luke 23, 39, 2, 42. One of the criminals, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. 
saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? Since you are among the same, you are, you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justify, justly, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that led us to this second word. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I think the sad part about this whole story is Jesus isn't someone that just does things randomly, right? Randomly, I don't think randomly he was in the middle. I don't think randomly there was two, one to the left and one to the right. You could have put Christ on this side with the two on that side. You could have put Christ on this cross with the other ones on this side. But there's reasons to it only being three crosses, one in the middle with two choices, two options, two decisions, two paths, two sinners that are un unworthy of redemption, but there's, a, there's redemption through that cross. And one of them decided to grab on to that redemption. So we go back to, again, the second word. I don't know if I'm past my time, but... So we'll go quickly back again to, that, to the word. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You. The word you is used to refer to the person or people that the speaker is addressing. So we'll look at that and we'll think, well, he was just addressing the criminal that was repentful. But I think God looks at things in such a broad picture that when he said you, and he's our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he was the most personable individual that ever walked this earth. When he talked to you, he talked to you by name. He didn't just refer to you as a you. He referred to you as Eli. He referred to you as Pastor Jay, Pastor Margie. He referred to you as Wes, Sam. He referred to you as Nelson. So when you take away the you, again, you is used to refer to the person or people. People. He wasn't talking just to that individual that was repentful. That word was directed to each and every one of us that come to him with a repentful heart, that truly repent of our sins and turn from our wicked ways. Now, and I'll end quickly. It doesn't say which side the one that was repentful was on. It doesn't explain that to us. But one thing is true is that the only one that Christ Jesus acknowledged was the one that was repentful. And the other one that was still in his rebellious ways, he didn't acknowledge him. So I don't know about you, but I want to be acknowledged by Jesus Christ. And in my 11th hour, I want him to tell me, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know where the other individual went. But I thank God that I come to him every day with a repentful heart. And I pray and encourage you all, come to him every day with a repentful heart. Because paradise, that's where I want to be. Amen. Amen.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We probably could have sang that song a couple of more times. It's an amazing song. So I get the third word, um, and we're going to go right in John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Um, and let's read in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, uh, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Praise the Lord. And so um, I was studying this, this passage and um, this last phrase, one of these phrases, and um, there was a few things that really stood out to me. And so before I get to it, I, I really want to describe this scene, right? And so here we are, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's standing by the cross, um, taking in everything that's happening to Jesus, taking in the suffering. Um, she's taking in um, her son just, just hanging from the cross, the mocking that was happening at this point, right? And so she's taking this in. She's just, she's watching, right? And so um, one of the, one of the um, articles that I read, um, they said, we're not going to add to what the Bible does not say, but it does say this. She was standing by his cross. And so she wasn't laid out the way that some paintings depict her. Um, she wasn't hanging on his cross with him. She was just standing, taking this in. And so all this is happening. And Jesus is at his end. She was going to come into the reality that she would no longer have Jesus there with her that he was going to go to heaven. Um, this was going to be the end of his life. And she had not or was not thinking of what would happen to me when he dies, right? And so this is very important because um, it is said that at this point, Joseph has already died, right? The, father, the earthly father of Jesus. Um, and so here, Mary, um, Jesus was her caretaker, because he was the eldest of, the, of her children. He was the caretaker. He was the one that provided for her. Um, and so she's standing there looking at the cross, watching him suffer. But I'm sure she was not thinking, who's going to take care of me? Because what she was seeing was so much bigger than just herself. Right? And so here Jesus, at the end of his human life, in the midst of his suffering from his beating, from everything else that's happening. He has his mother in mind, right? And so I was thinking about this. Um, have you ever had pain, an injury or even a heartache, some type of pain that is so overwhelming that it just takes over you, right? For me, like, I could take pain, but a headache, it like destroys me. I'm like, I need to lay down. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to see anyone. Like, I can't function. Jesus was enduring this pain, this suffering. He was just, he was mentally, he was being abused verbally. He was being abused um, physically. He was in a state of suffering. No one would have blamed him for thinking of himself and thinking of his suffering. But yet he was thinking about his mother. 
He was thinking about his responsibility. And um, as, his, as her firstborn, as her caretaker, he had nothing to give her, right? We've, um, in uh, the, a few verses before the verses we read, we read that the, um, the soldiers had taken his clothes um, his garment, and they divided it amongst them. So even if he had the last physical things he had that he could have given her, it was already taken away from him. And so what does he give her? And so here, my thought immediately, I'm like, well, he has other brothers and sisters. Where are they? They're not here. The Bible doesn't say where they were at this point. And so we won't add to it. But we know that they weren't there, and they weren't the ones that were going to take care of Mary. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have mentioned it. He would have thought, I'm going to die. I'm thinking of the whole world that I'm dying for. And my mother's going to be taken care of because there's another brother that's going to rise up and he's going to take care of my mom and that's going to be okay. But that wasn't the case. And so here, in the midst of everything that's happening, we come into, we come and encounter John, the beloved the disciple that was faithful, the disciple that out of all the ones that walk with Jesus, there he is standing by the cross. And so, you know, I go back to Jesus on the cross thinking of, thinking of Mary, thinking about her condition, thinking about let me give her off to someone and someone that I can trust. And so this is very consistent with Jesus and his character. If you look throughout the parables and you look throughout his story, you look at someone who was always moved with compassion regardless of where he was. If he was thirsty, he would still talk to someone. If he was tired but there was a multitude, he would feed them. So this wasn't something that was out of his character. This was just Jesus. Jesus was moved by compassion. He was moved by those that were in need. And so... Um, these are the three points I want to I, I wanna focus on. So John, the beloved, right, the disciple that was faithful, um, he seemed to be at the right place. And so John was um, one of the three that were considered part of Jesus' inner circle. He was one of the ones that saw the, the miracles that the other, um, the other nine did not, right? It was three of them that saw extra things that the other ones didn't. And so here John is standing with Jesus, um, and what an honor for him to be considered the caretaker of the mother of Jesus. And not because she's any other, any religious figure, not because she was a God, but because she was the mother of Jesus. Here, she was important enough for Jesus to say, you know, I need someone to take care of her. And he hands her over to John. And John, without a thought, it says from that moment on, he took her into her home. And so that makes me think of, John's testimony of faithfulness, of us as believers, as followers of Christ, our faithfulness, our being there at the right place at the right time when God needs us, when God needs us to serve, being able to say yes, because I'm here. It's an honor for me to serve you. It's an honor for me to give you of my time, to give you of my space, to give you of my, of, he, he wasn't thinking about this burden that was going to be upon him. He took her with him. Two, it says, um, I wrote this down. It says, those that truly love God and be loved of him. Are you a beloved of him? I'm beloved. Man, I didn't deserve his love. 
But because of his grace, you and I are able to enjoy, even celebrate this day. We celebrate not because Jesus is being crucified today. We celebrate because he is living. And so we are loved by God. And so what an honor. It says those that are beloved of him, we will be, we, we would find it glad to have an opportunity to serve him in his kingdom. It is an honor for us to be called to serve for Jesus Christ, to lay down our lives as he laid down for us. And so I come to my, my closing, right? And so here Jesus, who despite his suffering does not forget those in need. John, someone who was faithful and willing, said yes to Jesus. He is the example of, our, of the believer, right? We are faithful. We are willing. We are um, available for whatever he calls us to do. And then Mary, who represents those that are in need, right? And so sometimes God, I found, I have found many people that are in need. Um, they lose someone of comfort. They lose their, their, their stability. They lose um, their security. And they feel that that's the end of it. But the God that you and I serve, he provides another way. He provides comfort to those that are in loss. He, for, he provides the, 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 every need that we would have. And so sometimes you and I are what God raises to provide in, for the need of those um, that are looking. There's so many people around us. Even this week, um, Wanda told me of someone right up the block that they, they, they were in a fire and they lost stuff. Could have been their lives, but they lost stuff. And so there's needs, man. There's needs everywhere. And we are Christ's hands and feet. And I'll, I'll end with this. If we take an example from Jesus, he was willing to put aside himself and put aside his suffering in order to, to, think, to think of those that are in need. And so for us, it's a matter of trusting and relying that God will come through in our needs. If we give it to him, he'll take care of it all. And um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another, a good steward of God's very grace. And so as the body of Christ, we're called to fill in those gaps and to care for those that are in need and those that are abandoned. And so the challenge tonight is thinking about looking inside of us and asking, are we available for God? Are we available for God to use us? And because um, God is looking for the faithful. God is looking for those that are willing, not those that have a lot, not those that have um, much, but just a willing heart and a heart that is um, available to him. Um, and so let us give our trust and our care to God. He'll take care of us as he takes care of everyone else. Amen. Eli, Eli, lama sabatani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46 to 49. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm going to read a few extra verses. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. 
Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah saves him. Now, during my research, uh, I found a lot of commentaries, theories, opinions on this verse, and I was actually shocked by it. Uh, because I'm like, wow, this is a deep verse. Like, I don't even want to touch it because it's such a divine moment. But just like Pastor Marjorie, I believe, said on Sunday, commentaries are just commentary. So for those, you know, growing in the faith and new to the faith, I would say do your research. Make sure, don't just take my word for it. Make sure that my, what I'm preaching is backed up with truth. And, um, and find out what this means to God, you know. So I'm going to... Um, share a little bit of some of the commentaries that I found. It is said that some may think that Jesus called out, calling out Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that he was calling out to Elijah just like scripture says in Matthew 27, but some believe that the Jews of that time spoke Aramaic, Hebrew, some Greek, some Latin, and they, <clears throat> and they believe that some portion of, that, of the scripture could have been mistranslated. It is also said that it is believed that the crowd could have misheard Jesus or purposefully twisted his words in mockery. And it is also said that it could, he could have been misunderstood, that maybe his speech wasn't clear from all the lashes and blows he endured that he took from the head. And so it kind of sounds a little bit like what was going on in Mark 15, 60 to 20, where there was a lot of mockery going on and, um, throughout that whole time of what Jesus was enduring. And then I'm going to share the one where uh, most people of the faith believe. And I believe uh, Stephen touched a little bit on it. Uh, next one is that uh, most people believe the fulfillment of Scripture, as in um, Psalms 22, to remind those who heard of Psalm 22 that Scripture was being fulfilled right before them. So I'm going to just uh, read a few Scriptures that really stood out to me uh, in Psalms 22. The first one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sounds familiar. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And then we have six through eight. But I am a worm and not a man. Uh, scorn, what the heck? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my gum. <laughs> scorn by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they said, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And then we have 14 and 19 that says, I am poured out like a water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are in display. People staring, they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Sounds a lot like Mark 15 to 24, what was going on. Mocking him, casting lots for his garments. I need my water, excuse me. Mouth's getting dry. Um, and in verse 19, but you... Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. So for me, I feel like Jesus had a real human experience. And in that last verse, I feel like there was a moment Jesus felt that he wanted to be delivered. He wanted to be rescued. You know, so I feel like he really had a real human experience in that moment. 
as far as the human side of Jesus Christ. Um, so now, so just like Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate in, uh, in judgment, now here we on the cross, you know, he's about to bear judgment from Abba Father. <clears throat> so a lot of things, as I was doing the study, a lot of things were flowing through my head. Um, there was a lot of thoughts going through my mind. And a lot of times when I read scripture, I try to put myself in that story. I try to visualize it. I try to uh, relate to it. And, um, and so one of the things I really uh, I felt impressed in my heart was, like, the relationship I had with my dad. So um, bear with me as I try to explain this and make sense of this entire all together. <clears throat> so, like, with my dad, oh, I lost track of where I was. So I, when the one thing that got impressed in my heart was how my dad abused me and how that made me feel. And, and, like, it made me feel like, man, I would rather receive a few more beings if it only meant that I could hear him say I love you or if I could stay in my father's love, you know, however that may have looked like. And, um, and it, what really killed me, what really crushed me was, like, not being in my, in, in my father's love. That, that crushed me. And so I sit here and I wonder, and I'm like, here's the scene of Jesus Christ on the cross, and I can't help to think if the human side of Jesus kind of felt the same way. Um, you know, like, yeah, the, the abuse that Jesus had received was different from that of mine, but I wonder if he, exp if he expressed something similar, whether it be in thought, whether he didn't, he didn't have to verbally say, but I wonder if he, he might have felt that way. Like, Abba, Abba, I would rather take a few more lashes if it only means that I stay in your love, that I stay in your presence. Why do I say this? Because I believe Jesus caught a glimpse of an eternity apart from God's love and of God's presence. And so now we're talking about Jesus who knew how to pray to the Father, who had a very intimate relationship with the Father. He was always in God's presence. And, um, and so here we are. You know, he knew how to get away from the distractions of the world. He knew how to pray. Um, he was always, and yet the, the crazy thing is that to think that he was yet Christ the Messiah, you know, which is a mystery in itself. And then I believe that in that moment, um, Jesus felt a true feeling of forsakenness, a true feeling of abandonment, a true feeling of loneliness, that of separation, because he was bearing the sins, our sins on himself. And then look, even before Pontius Pilate, what was his disciples? They were all MIA, none of them to be found. So imagine, about, imagine how abandoned he felt then. <clears throat> and now here he is at the cross about to experience what an eternity cut off from the Father would feel like. So this is why I believe um, Jesus can empathize with us because Hebrew 14 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus, for me, had a real human experience and wouldn't want us to be cut off from eternity of being in God's presence and in his love. So if anybody had a glimpse of what an eternity of separation from his love and his presence, it was Jesus Christ. So this is why I believe Jesus says he would never leave us nor forsake us because he had that experience. Thank you. Hallelujah. Glory. 
Jesus is near the end. It's almost over. The Gospel of John says that Jesus, knowing that everything has been accomplished, and so that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Or depending on your translation, I am thirsty. Of course, my first thought on interpreting this was, oh, well, that's easy. Woman at the well. Spiritual application, personal application. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, everyone who drinks this water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But those that drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give to them will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. But someone said to me, not so, no. Jesus said, I thirst. He's thirsty. And that's what it means. Yes, it's true. He, he was medically, physically speaking, exceedingly thirsty. Jesus is now near the end of his earthly life. And having endured much suffering at the hands of the Roman soldiers, he's now hung from the cross for nearly six hours. Yes, he is experiencing deep physical suffering of thirst due to the loss of much bodily fluid, blood, sweat. His need for fluid is reaching a critical level. He was thirsty. However, when you read John's gospel in chapter 19, we see that there's also this prophetic element which Christ's words, I thirst, because Jesus said, it says, knowing that all things had been accomplished. To fulfill the scripture, he said, I thirst. In order to fulfill the scripture. What scripture? Well, I'm going to tell you. It says in Psalm 22, my strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And also in Psalm 69, for my awful thirst, they offered me vinegar to drink. So, as many times in the Word of God, and I think especially it's true with John, there's more than one way to view or interpret God's Word. Because the Word of God is alive. The Word of God is powerful, it says in Hebrews. It's active, even today. So in these, just these two words or three words of Jesus, we see at least three interpretations or, or applications. Number one, there's the physical manifestation of his suffering, his, his great thirst. Uh, secondly, there's this prophetic element. And thirdly, uh, indeed, there is the spiritual element which I think communicates to us a personal application. Because truly, if all we ever see when we read the Word of God are the facts of the Bible, then we fail to acquire the life-giving message of the Bible. Was Jesus thinking, oh yeah, right, uh, you know, let me not forget to say this so, so they'll know that I was thirsty and, and that I'm fulfilling the Scripture? 
Well, I, I really don't know or have any idea what was exactly on Christ's mind, uh, but I do know, as evidenced by the gospel, that his life was spent teaching, teaching the spiritual life to anyone willing to follow him, to anyone who would follow the real Jesus. Jesus was the consummate teacher. They called him teacher. Nicodemus, a Jewish ruler, came to him by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And time and time again, we see that it is inferred. Jesus came teaching in their synagogues. He opened his mouth and he taught them, it says. Again, he taught them as one having authority. The elders came to him as he was teaching. He departed hence to teach and to preach. And Jesus himself declared to the Pharisees, you know, I sat with you daily teaching. And finally, the disciples, we are told, did as they were taught. So here he is, the one who would quench our thirst so that we would never thirst again, thirsty. Was he mindful of you at that moment? I say yes, he was. It was the whole point of his coming to earth. I thirst. It really shows us Christ's humanity in that moment and also displays to us his great strength that even during these awful, horrendous moments, he chose not to call upon the power of heaven itself to come down and help him. And so, yes, by his actions, all promises are fulfilled. All hope is fulfilled. As from the prophetic past, I think of Isaiah in 44, it says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And as from his, uh, John, from his contemporary, uh, John 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Also in John, woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Also in John 7, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus stood up and he cried out loudly saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Hallelujah. And finally, as for the prophetic future, I think of Revelation 22:17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wants to take the water of life without any cost. Now, I don't know about you, but I can hardly ever 
get enough of his presence. All right? That's like Anthony was just talking about. I know that feeling. You feel like you just want to jump out of this skin just to be with him. You want to soar. You want to fly. And I believe that that, my friend, is thirsting. Hallelujah. And there is a song (laughs) that we used to sing uh, in a little chorus, really, if if you forgive me. Uh, It goes, Lord, I thirst for you. I long to be in your presence. My soul will wait on you. Father, draw me nearer. Draw me nearer to the beauty of your holiness. And I will wait for you, almighty God, in the beauty of your holiness. And I will worship you, almighty God, in the beauty of your holiness. Does that not describe you, beloved child of God? And if it doesn't, then I want to challenge you to partake of the living water that Jesus offers you. Thirst for him and for his presence. Hallelujah. beloved child of God, I'm going to ask you to stand and worship with us. Man, are you enjoying yourself tonight? Isn't this cool? Amen. Before we sing, we're going to, we're going to collect our offering. And uh, Church, I encourage you to give tonight with all your heart. Listen, we serve a God that gave without restraint. He gave without any limits. God didn't love us as much as he did, it wouldn't have cost him his son, amen? It wouldn't have cost Jesus his life. um, I just encourage you tonight to think on that as you give tonight. Listen, we're we're not given to a church. We're not given so that we can build our kingdom. We're giving so that we can build the kingdom, amen? So as you give tonight, let's give generously. Let's give. Let's give with a generous heart because our God did not hold back from what he gave us, the love that he poured out on us. He did not hold back from, from giving up his son because he loved us that much. Amen. So we're going to worship. And um, ushers, you can start collecting offering. We're going we're gonna to introduce you guys to a new song um, called Death Was Arrested. And um, I love, I think it's the fourth verse of this song. It says, um, Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand because death was arrested and my life began. Amen. Let's sing this together. Sorrow and dead in my sin. 
Just lift up your voice. Just thank him. Thank him for his love. Thank him for his love. in the name of Jesus several times and since there's power in the name of Jesus that means that there has to be some type of transformation that happens tonight because we can't mention Jesus and something not atmosphere in the, uh, uh, a manifest in the spiritual realm it is finished glory be to God it is finished. Amen. Glory be to God. Yeah. It is finished. Glory be yeah. to God. Yeah. You know, we, we serve a contrary to me type of God. We serve a contrary to me type of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap in. You see, because when we say it's impossible, Jesus on the contrary says it's possible. When we say, I can't, Jesus goes on the contrary of me and says, oh, yes, you can. Yeah. 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 When he said it is finished, what he meant was there's something that's about to begin. Yeah. Yeah. You see, we look at the cross and we feel like it's a, it's a detrimental thing. We look at the cross and we think it's a detrimental thing. It's a sad thing. But how many know, like Stephen said, that it was a setup? Because we also serve a table-turning God. What the enemy meant for bad, God will use it to glorify his name. And I want you to put up Psalms 23.5 if you can. I want you to get this. Because it's beautiful to have a service, it's beautiful, it's beautiful to speak the seven words, but when it goes in us, when it manifests fruit, when it manifests within, within us and it provokes a change, that's even more beautiful. 
finish is such a powerful word. How many times have we wanted to throw away the, the, the throw in the gloves or just give up the ministry or just throw everything away? How many times have we felt like this is not for me? Jesus was on that cross because he said there's a there's about to be something birthed from this cross. There's about to be a new start, a new beginning. Hallelujah. Sometimes God allows us to be weak so that he can be strong because we serve a contrary to me type of God. Glory be to God. Psalms 23 says that he prepares the table before my enemies. I imagine that the, that the devil was sitting there having a jolly old go time. <laughs> yeah, we, we just, we, we, we got it set up just right now. He's going to be done. There's no more of power. There's no more of revelation. There's no more purpose. There's no more hallelujah. There's no more. You see, but the enemy is not as astute as he thinks he is. Because the enemy is not omnipresent. He only knows the moment. So while he's sitting here thinking that there was a defeat on that cross, Jesus was just sitting here saying, I'm just waiting for all this to be finished. Because once I'm done, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to come back with power. See? See, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. So while the enemy is sitting there laughing at you, thinking that, that, that he got you to the end, like there's no hope, like there's no purpose, like there's no call, like there's no ministry. Jesus finished it on the cross so that he could begin the purpose in you. He didn't leave you here to stop here. Glory be to God. When we look at the scripture, it is finished. What does it mean? Jesus didn't say, I am finished. No, no, no. Jesus didn't say, I am finished because we know that the story goes on, right? We know that the story doesn't end there. It says that it is finished. It was a debt that we couldn't pay. No matter how many sheep we slayed, no matter how much blood we gave up, no matter how many sacrifices we threw on the altar, it wasn't enough. But God loved us so much that it was part of his plan to set a preparation of pain so that at the cross it can manifest purpose in our lives. Glory be to God for pain. You see, we listen to, we hear the word pain and we don't want to know about that. We hear the word sickness, we don't want to know about that. We hear the word persecution, we don't want to know about that. We hear the word defamation, we don't want to know about that. But Jesus needed to know about that. So he can show you and I that we can overcome. That even though it hurts now, there will be glory later. Even though that he's thirsty now, there will be a quenching that's going to occur later. Hallelujah. We serve a God that huh, he knows the tomorrow and we only know the moments. But when we rely on God, when we look up to God, when we look at that cross and instead of moping and crying and saying, oh my God, we begin to give a glory to God and praise to Jesus because the work on that cross is finished. Now it's time for the work in me to be done. It. God said, I give you my son and replacement of your sin. It's not an equal trade. We act like we, 
You know what I'm saying? We act like we're somebody. We act like, you know, maybe I'll praise God. You ought to praise God for who he, what he did in your life. You ought to praise God because he defeated that cross for you and I. You ought to praise God because where he took you from. See, I'm not a believer of praise him, praise him. I don't provoke people to praise God. I praise God because I know where he took me from. Because in my situation, he said, Maribel, <laughs> it is finished. Glory be to God. In the Greek term, it is finished is transaction complete. That's what that means in Greek. Transaction complete. And the enemy is sitting here laughing, laughing like he does with us. He's laughing. <laughs> Look at you up there. Ha! Look at you serving and praying out to a God that don't listen to you. Ha! See, that's what the enemy does. But since we serve a contrary to me type of God, when he said it was finished, he was just beginning. The Bible says that they gave him some wine to drink, and it was sour wine. Now guess who's sour? The devil's sour. He's a little sour because his purpose didn't come to plan. You see, all those people that wanted to see him crucified were standing there having a jolly old good time. But in turn, God's prepared the table before all the enemies. He, he set it up for everyone to see that I, Jesus, shall be glorified in the presence of my enemy. Don't, 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 don't get too all rivaled up when your enemies come close. Give God the praise that the table is being prepared for his glory to be manifested. Known to many during his life on earth as the teacher, healer, deliverer, forgiver of sins, Provider, resurrector, friend, servant leader, brother. And if you would allow me to use my imagination and creative liberty, uncle by blood, perhaps, and in some cases to the child or young person down the street, Uncle Jesus, because he was that type. He was eight words away from willingly surrendering his life to take it back, according to John 10, 14 through 18. Eight being the number for new beginnings. A new beginning for humanity that had fallen. A new beginning for the criminal at the cross. And as I heard a preacher mention, when Jesus said, today you will be in paradise, his past was erased. And Jesus said, crying out loud with a voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. The word living the word, once again as he had previously done. During his 40 days of fasting, with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, he was able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, declaring 
it is written. We find that these words that Jesus expressed were penned some thousand years before by a young shepherd man anointed to be king, but persecuted by the one he would succeed on the throne. In Psalm 31.5, David declared, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You will redeem me, Adonai, God of truth. The difference in Jesus' case, he was the redeemer. The good shepherd encouraging us, and as we are constantly challenged in this house, to make the word our source of life, strength, and foundation. And as we discussed in our uh, Spanish uh, cottage prayer gathering, and those that were in attendance, and especially to the younger generation present, we encourage for the word to be their foundation. I would like to take this moment to express gratitude to the teachers of Rivers of Life Cybert, our pastors, wow teachers, past, present, and future, children's ministry, and parents. Thank you for imparting the word of God into our lives and into the lives of this generation. I would like to bless you and bless myself with these words, may we not depart from the commands of God's lips. May we treasure the words of his mouth more than our, more than our necessary food. Job 23, 12, the second part. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As my uh, brother Anthony just confirmed what I had written, Jesus maintained a strong relationship with the Heavenly Father. It was evident in his focus on fulfilling the Father's will. It is necessary that I be about my Father's business. My Father is always working, and so am I. And in his prayer life, many escapes to be in solitude and in, com and in communion. A deep level of trust in the Father that even if he felt for a moment abandoned, he knew that reunification was on the horizon. Amen. And at this time, I would like to just bless us with a word of trust. May we have trust in God's mercy, and may we rejoice in our salvation that has come through Christ. Psalm 13, 5. Having said this, he breathed his last. And I want to conclude by reading an excerpt that I found. It's called The Breath of Christ, written by senior pastor uh, Paul Guidry in a church in Natick, Massachusetts. And it says, There was such power released in Jesus' last breath that even the unbelieving Roman centurion who was party to his death declared with certainty, surely this was the Son of God. The ground shook, rocks split, and the veil in the temple was torn forever adjoining all who dared to walk the path to the access point of the Holy of Holies. 
The breath of God in Genesis 1 gave life to mankind. The breath of Jesus released on the cross gave life to mankind, fallen man. The breath of the Spirit in Acts 2 poured out his presence on all mankind. The breath of God grants access. We have the choice to decide what we breathe. God bless. Amen. Let us rise as we worship. worship team. God bless all of the brothers and sisters that took the challenge to bring uh, uh, just an, uh, sharing the word, one of the expressions today. When you see them after service, could you thank them for the time and, and the effort and their hearts out? You know, when, when we challenge someone to do this every year, we know that it's going to bless them as much as it's going to bless everyone that hears them. So we're thankful to the Lord. We're thankful for Jesus. I'm excited about today because I know what's coming on Sunday. So because of that, I'm so excited. I'm happy. I'm blessed. Super blessed, right? Just very blessed. If there's anyone that was here today and had an opportunity to just hear about Jesus for the first time or maybe they just haven't really given it much thought and this is your opportunity and your day to be able to say I want to make just I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus today you know he's given me so much and I want to give him my life today if you need that prayer I'm just going to ask you you know right right after I finish this prayer that I'm going to do just I'm going to challenge you to just step up here and we're going to meet you here and we're going to pray with you all right we're going to challenge you so don't leave here if you felt in your heart that you were touched and you really need Jesus that your situation like I think Maribel said your situation looks like wow this is going to be a desperate hopeless situation in my life everything's over nothing's going right this is your day for the new beginning to start and so I challenge you, right, right after I finish my prayer, just don't let anybody stop you. Just come and bring yourself right over here. We're going to pray with you. Um, at the back, the ushers still have some of these come alive. 
And if you want one for a relative, a friend, a neighbor, someone you want to invite to Sunday's Easter service, just grab one from the back from one of the ushers. Okay, those are still available to you. Tomorrow, some, some brothers and sisters from the church are going to be doing life. They're going to go see Paul, the movie Paul. If you're, you're interested in doing life with some others here that are going to go see the movie, please see Wanda. Wanda had the last word today. And, uh, or Milta, who's in the back. Milta, wave your hand. Or Milta, and find out details of when they're going so you can all meet up. All right, so this is a great opportunity to just uh, see and hear on the life of Paul. If you were able to sign into the simulcast, you were blessed with that simulcast. I was blessed with that simulcast. So um, let us pray to end the service. And remember, you need prayer, just come right over here, and we're going to meet you right here, okay? Let us pray. Let us thank God for being here. We will be here Sunday at 11 a.m. Father, we are thankful this evening. We, we have so much to be thankful for, Lord. We're thankful for your sacrifice. We're thankful for your willingness to take our place in the cross of Calvary. We are thankful. Lord, we can't say it enough. There's nothing we can do that will just cover the cost of that. But we're thankful, Lord. And we want to give you our lives and our hearts every single day. We just want to commit ourselves to you. Lord, as we leave your house, we know that we never leave your presence. Go with us, Lord, in our cars and as we walk to our homes. Lord, go with us. Stay with us. Come into our homes. Let us have wonderful dreams and visions of you, O oh Lord. And let us gather together as one body to worship you on Sunday. And thank you for the second part of It Is Finished. So we thank you for all this in God's people said. Amen. Please greet each other in the love of Christ. Those that need prayer, just come right up here. We're going to wait for you right up here. Amen. God bless you.